Welcome to Farm Chica's next podcast on fermentation. Fermentation is is as old as life itself. At some point, we humans discovered a way to process and preserve our foods. And these processes have been handed down through generations, passed around to create beloved foods and natural dishes that we cherish today. So today I'm going to walk you through some more familiar fermented foods, talk a little bit about the history of lacto-fermentation, and give you some ideas on recipes. Welcome to Farm Chica, the podcast dedicated to providing a holistic model for promoting sustainable lifestyles and ways to engage in traditional methods of homesteading. Join me, Rene Delgado Riley, a native-born New Mexican, as I share how I respect Mother Nature through easy-to-apply tips that anyone can do. Through this podcast, I hope to inspire you to tap into your ancestral roots and live a more traditional simple life that focuses on sustainability and respect to the earth. So join me as I share 20 to 30 minute tips that anyone can do. So lacto-fermentation is a specific type of fermentation that uses lactic acid producing bacteria to preserve the foods that we eat today, such as kimchi, sauerkraut, and other lacto-fermented foods I'll discuss later on in this podcast. While fermentation was traditionally used to increase shelf life, recent research has actually highlighted some several health benefits from eating lacto-fermented foods, so I'm excited to share a little bit more about the history of lacto-fermentation. So most people think of beer and wine when they hear the term fermentation. Well, yes, certain yeasts are used to convert the sugars in grape juice or grains into alcohol. However, it's actually a bacteria that's responsible for lacto-fermentation. The term lacto actually refers to the specific species of bacteria, namely lactobacillus. Various strains of this bacteria are present on the surface of plants. Also, they're very common in humans and are present in lots of parts of our body, especially our gastrointestinal tracts. Hence, if you take probiotics, you will see that the species of bacteria are present in what you are taking. So fermented alcoholic beverages have been developed and been part of human civilization for a long time, but also humans have been fermenting types of foods, probably not at the best holding qualities in terms of temperature, but particularly dairy. So the milk of camels, goats, sheep, and cattle were actually naturally fermented as far back as 10,000 BCE. So it's actually likely that the fermentation occurred spontaneously. It's not like they went out intentionally, uh, but due to the natural existing microflora, present in the milk and the subtropical climates of the Middle East and where this fermentation took place that could be explaining the large role in why this would happen. So because of the temperature and the milk that was being transported during trade or just, you know, around human existence in their everyday living, that contributed to the thermophilic lactic acid fermentation that favors in the heat of this climate. So it's been su- kind of suggested that the first yogurts were actually produced in goat bags draped over the backs of camels in the north of Africa, where temperatures were around 110 degrees Fahrenheit during the day, which kind of made ideal conditions for the fermentation to occur. So essentially, humans would pack their dairy so they would have that because dairy contains a lot of nutrients, um, fats and um, good vitamins for us, um, good for our bones. And so humans naturally took this around with them in usually udders or um, 
stomachs of pigs or any kind of animal they can get, they would store this. And then during the day, due to the temperature, you would actually get the creation of yogurts and cheeses and all the things that we will talk about today. So humans for centuries were creating this process of fermentation, but it wasn't until the mid-1800s that people actually began to understand what was happening to cause their foods to ferment. So it wasn't until a French chemist by the name of Louis Pasteur, in which he connected the process of fermentation and concluded that fermentation is defined as respiration without air. And he indicated that fermentation would never occur in the absence of simultaneous cellular propagation and organization. So essentially what this means is that fermentation can only happen in the absence of oxygen. And thus there are two types of fermentation, alcohol fermentation and lactic acid fermentation. So again, alcohol fermentation happens when yeast consumes sugar and makes ethanol for drinking. This is also a similar process for sourdough and wild yeast in which it makes that kind of carbon dioxide gas, which allows the bread to rise and become fluffy. The other process of fermentation, which we're talking about today, is the lactic acid fermentation, which occurs when there's that naturally occurring bacteria on our milk, um, vegetables, etc., and that's used to ferment the foods in the absence of oxygen. So now that humans begin to understand what causes fermentation, it wasn't until the early 1900s that fermented foods were actually explored in relationship to their benefit to your health. There was lots of studies on lifespans of people in Bulgaria and the reason why they were living longer and had longer lifespans. And it turns out that they were consuming a larger frequency of fermented milks. Um, Russian bi- bacteriologists actually created a and named a species of bacteria found in these fermented milks. And continuing on this line of research, eventually it was discovered that lactobacillus acidophilus was one of the bacteria strains that could survive in the human gut, and they were very active. Acidophilus is actually present in yogurts. So even in the last 40 years, there's been extensive research conducted to really examine the health benefits of consuming friendly bacteria. There appears to be strong linkages and associations between consuming these friendly bacteria and improving digestion, detoxification, and also other health benefits. And as I noted earlier, our culture today around food reflects these findings in the popular use of probiotic products. And simply put, a probiotic is a food that contains these friendly bacteria. When you walk down any supermarket or grocery store that you purchase your food from, you'll see products labeled with this word on it. Everything from yogurts to dietary supplements to beverages, fermented foods as pastor determined are naturally high in these friendly bacterias. And again, the history of fermentation was more as a food preservation method, not necessarily as a health beneficial process. Fermenting foods provided a way to store them without the need for refrigeration. Our ancestors didn't have access to modern refrigerators that we have access to today or freezers. And so they had to figure out ways to um, preserve those foods from their harvest and to be able to withstand cold climates and et cetera, et cetera. So it was a way of preserving your foods. So it was definitely a way to ensure that families were eating things as cheese, beer, and vinegar without even thinking about the health benefits. This was just part of making sure that we had food to feed our families. So fermentation happens in an airless environment. 
So these desirable bacteria that are really good for us thrive in an oxygen-free environment. They digest those sugars, starches, carbohydrates, and release alcohols, carbon dioxide, or other organic acids that we use to preserve food. The undesirable bacteria that causes the spoilage, the rotting, the decay of foods can't actually survive in this anaerobic, airless environment. And I know it gets confusing, but lacto was first termed due to the lactobacillus bacteria found in milk, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it only has to involve dairy products. This can involve other fruits and vegetables. But what I want to note is lactic acid is a natural preservative. It actually inhibits the growth of those harmful bacteria that will make us sick. The beyond the basic preservation benefits of lacto-fermentation, it also preserves the vitamin and enzyme levels, as well as makes it more easily digestible, especially for those with sensitive GIs like myself. When we talk about lacto-fermentation and considering fermenting your own foods, it's important to remember that fermentation is essentially a controlled decay process. It creates very strong compelling flavors, which trust me, you can look at and it can get um, unsettling. But just remember, as long as it's controlled and you follow directions and things might taste a little bit different. This is what our, our ancestors were used to. This is something that in the 21st century, a lot of us um, may not be eating and consuming lacto-fermented foods. So it may be an acquired taste um, and it could be a culturally um, subjective for others. It really just depends on your experience in this world. So again, fermented food is neither fresh nor rotten, and it's really up to the personal taste of the fermenter to decide what's really palatable to you. Because sometimes if you don't add certain herbs and stuff, it's going to taste like it's a very unique taste of any fermented food. So it's cool to get experimental. Um, If not for the health benefits, um, fermented foods are a great way to preserve your garden harvest. So enough about bacteria, let's actually talk about fermented foods. So, so far we know that lactobacillus transforms those sugars naturally found in any fruits and vegetables into lactic acid. It preserves and even heightens the flavor, texture, and nutrients of what you're fermenting. So for example, fermented pickles pack more of a flavor punch than traditional cucumbers. And the same thing goes for cabbage, uh, what we love as sauerkraut. So traditional lacto-fermentation involves submerging vegetables or fruits in a brine solution of salt and water. There are also methods of fermenting without salt. However, I really have only experimented and used the salt brine method. So there's two stages of lacto-fermentation. The first stage is the vegetables or fruits or whatever you're fermenting are submerged in a brine and it's salty enough to kill off harmful bacteria. So the lactobacillus, good guys, can survive and begin to stage two. So the second stage of lacto-fermentation is when the lactobacillus organisms begin converting lactose and those other sugars present in that food into lactic acid. This creates an acidic environment that safely preserves the vegetables or fruits and gives lacto-fermented foods that distinctive tangy-like flavor. So I wanna mention that Fermented foods are not canned foods. So the difference is lacto-fermentation is common and really a traditional form of pickling. Um, Obviously, our ancestors didn't have the equipment to do the types of canning that we know as today, such as home canning. So it's not really the same thing. Um, So fermented foods are usually only edible for a shorter period of time. It's a good way to preserve your harvest, but it doesn't last super long. 
So typically you begin the fermented food and once it's kind of reached that desired level of fermentation, you can actually just eat it and finish it until it finishes and matures. On the other hand, canning involves some form of sterilization. And so it's intended to preserve foods in a canned state for longer periods of time. Sometimes, according to Ask Jackie, you can have canned foods up to like 18 months to years after. And if you use things such as a pressure canning method, you definitely get longer shelf life with your canned foods. So some popular fermented foods, usually it's, it's in general, firmer vegetables such as beets, turnips are best for lacto-fermentation. Softer vegetables like tomatoes and cucumbers can be more difficult. However, it's still possible. And things such as broccoli, Brussels sprouts, and other kind of gassy-like vegetables give off really a strong odor when fermented. So it's kind of best to have a mix. That's why you often see the mix of like cauliflower and carrots and other vegetables together, just because it kind of balances out the flavors. So some common vegetables, well, obviously cabbage, the most popular one for sauerkraut, um, carrots, radishes are really good, garlic, cucumbers to make those fermented pickles, turnips, snap peas, cauliflower, green beans. I love lacto-fermented turnips and green beans. Those are two of my favorites. So some tips, salt, temperature, and time. So when fermenting most fruits and veggies, you need salt, obviously, to get through that first stage to kill off all the harmful bacteria. So it's a super important natural fermentation for a few reasons. Get rid of that bad bacteria. You allow the good guys, the lactobacillus, to survive. So adding salt puts your good bacteria in the perfect position to focus on fermenting your food without having to fight off the other bacteria. So it really creates that right environment for that. However, just something to know and something that I was still kind of learning when I first started exploring lacto-fermented foods as a way to preserve some veggies is that the higher amounts of salt you put in at the beginning will actually raising that salt content makes the process longer to ferment. So lower levels of salt speed up fermentation, higher levels of salt slow down fermentation. And also your environment, the time of the year it's in, whether it's summer and it's hot inside or it's cold in the winter, that really, that climate will definitely affect fermentation. So of course, the warmer it is in the environment, the faster the fermentation is going to take. So when following any lacto-fermentation recipe, it's important to understand and take into consideration the levels of salt as well as temperature in the environment. And just another quick on salt, when choosing salt, try to use a non-iodized salt, typically kosher salt or any kind of sea salt will lead to better success. So it's important to look at many different recipes around lacto-fermented foods, but typically to make the brine, you typically add two tablespoons of salt to water, about a quart, you stir and dissolve and you pour over your vegetables or that fruit that you're using. With that said, there are many variations and really just follow your particular fermentation recipe. It'll usually tell you the size of the jar and container. Okay, now that we've talked about lactobacillus and really the whole process of bacteria and just how to make a brine and the process of lacto-fermentation, let's talk about some easy recipes that you can do today. So unlike canning, it's really easy to get started in lacto-fermented foods. You just need some large mason jars I use. Probably the half-gallon ones are just really easy for me to use, or you can use any quart-sized one. It's really your preference, and then you can just have some type of lid. You don't necessarily need the fancy fermentation lids, um, although I buy some on Amazon. They're, they're really inexpensive and they, they do make the process a little bit easier, which I'll talk about shortly. 
Let's so let's talk about the most common lacto-fermented food that most people eat is sauerkraut. And so red cabbage, green cabbage, any kind of cabbage can be made into a traditional sauerkraut, which can be served with apples for a salad. It can be integrated into any salad, served with pork or other meat or other vegetables. And it's just really an amazing food. And lacto-fermented foods are easier to digest than raw. So if you have trouble eating raw vegetables like myself, lacto-fermented allows you to be able to digest them a lot easier because it's loaded with those probiotics that are really good for your digestive system. Making sauerkraut is super easy. Um, It's just a really easy process to do in really less than 10 minutes. So similar to the process I'm going to walk you through is similar for anything like green beans or carrots or other vegetables. There's a host of many different recipes out there for lacto-fermented foods. Again, you don't need any canning equipment because this is not canning. This is definitely fermented. So what do you need to make a great sauerkraut? Well, let's start with a red cabbage sauerkraut, which is one of my favorites. So you need one head of red cabbage. You need four cups of water, one tablespoon sea salt or any kosher salt that you have and a teaspoon caraway seeds, which to me adds a lot more flavor. So really it's a matter of taking that cabbage, washing it, and cutting it in half, and cutting out that thick corn stem, and compost those, or feed those to the chickens or the rabbits. They just love cabbage. So thinly slice that cabbage into shreds or small pieces. Think of a coleslaw-like consistency with that cabbage as you're chopping it up. Loosely pack the sliced cabbage into any kind of clean glass jars. You can really use any size. Um, I recommend a quart size, which is four cups. Um, Sprinkle in some of the caraway seeds um, as you fill the jars with the brine that you made. So in order to make the brine, essentially you mix the water and salt until the salt is dissolved and you pour it over into over the vegetable just until the vegetables are submerged. So make sure you don't have any vegetables above the liquid level. That's important because you essentially need that salt to kill the bad bacteria on that vegetable or fruit. And as you're packing it in, make sure you're gently pressing down the cabbage and the spices, the caraway seeds that you put in there to release any air bubbles. It's important to take something and push it down just for that reason because you want to release those air bubbles. You can take any jar lid and loosely cover it. Um, I've even seen people use coffee filters and put those around with a rubber band. You just need something um, to be able not super tight on. So if there's overflow because the fermentation becomes active, you don't want to have a mess on your hands and you don't want exploding jars. Um, I have, as I mentioned earlier on Amazon, I have a fermentation lid with an airlock on it. And so I just fill that up with sanitized water and I have that completely. It just gives it the opportunity to breathe in that airless environment. So you leave the jars at room temperature for three to four days during this time. You want to, if you don't have a fermentation lid and you just have like a coffee filter or you have just a regular lid loosely on, you want to remove the covers at least once a day just so it can burp and see what the vegetables are doing and making sure that they're submerged in the brine. And if you need to make more brine, you're always feel free to, if you feel like it's absorbing all of that and you need more brine, you want to make sure your vegetable and fruit is always under that water level. So in this case with the red cabbage, make sure that it's under that water level. So you can start to see some bubbles on the top. So there'll be bubbles along the top of the liquid, which indicates that fermentation is happening. So by the end of those three to four days, the red cabbage sauerkraut should have become a clean, lightly sour smell and maybe taste. It's completely safe to consume this. Again, the salt is killing that bad bacteria. So the good guys are left around. So then at this point, you can transfer the jars to the refrigerator and wait at least five 
seven more days to test the flavor of your red cabbage and see if it's developed. And again, if you don't have a fermentation lid, you can use a coffee filter, you can use cheesecloth with a rubber band, whatever is um, most important is that the cabbage is submerged in the brine at all times. Um, so your sauerkraut, just keep testing it and tasting it. It'll be in, it'll last in the refrigerator for about up to six months, but it's best to eat it within three months just because it loses its crispness. And that's the, the joy of eating lacto-fermented cabbage is it tastes really great and crispy. This recipe also works really well with green cabbage and you can combine the green and the red cabbage. Um, you can add mustard seeds, fennel seed, dill, garlic, or really any fresh herbs to this recipe. You can also swap a half of that cabbage for shredded carrots and beets and really make a really kind of cool variation. So besides cabbage, another favorite lacto-fermented recipe is fermented carrots with dill or fermented carrots with anything. Um, you need about um, a pound of fresh carrots with ends trimmed, peel them, um, chop them up, make sure they're like in stick form or really any preference. Um, I've even seen this in rounds, however you want to cut your carrots. So um, you'll want quart size jars for this just so they're large enough to hold those carrot sticks. Um, I like to add some fresh garlic cloves, fresh or dried dill is always really great. And just remember any um, non-iodized salt or any kind of sea salt is really great. So you pack all the um, carrots into the jar, but before you do it, some little tips that I like to do. Um, I usually put some of the herbs down at the bottom of the jar, such as the dill with the garlic, and I smash that in really nicely, and then I place the carrots in there. And again, for every four cups of water, I use about two tablespoons of unrefined non-iodized salt in, into that water, mix that in, and then I pour that over just until the vegetable is submerged. And so you're almost done. <laughs> so loosely place that lid on the jar. Again, if you have a fermentation lid, that's really great. So just after 24 hours, you'll notice that the water has turned cloudy and you may even see some tiny bubbles rising to the surface. That means the fermentation's happening. So after two to three days, depending on how warm your kitchen is, what time of the year it is, you'll remove that lid every single day if you don't have that fermentation lid. Remember, you have to let that thing burp, otherwise you'll have exploding jars. So this is... Um, just so you'll know, um, and this is new to me when I was beginning lacto-fermented foods, is there'd be this white scum on top and I'd be get really disgusted thinking I spoiled my food and I did something and I screwed up, but this is completely harmless and normal. Um, you can open that up and like kind of remove that scum. So by three to four days, you'll also notice there's a slight sour or acidic smell to it. It's kind of like not really vinegary, but like a little sour. Um, at this point, you'll want to do like a taste test. Um just to kind of get an idea of what this tastes like. So just taste your carrot, see if it's um, pleasingly sour, tangy, and really the right amount of crunch. At that point, you can determine if you're ready for it. To go in the refrigerator, again, consume these within six months, but I do want to mention to use non-chlorinated water. Um, sometimes chlorine will kill the naturally occurring good guy bacteria, that lactobacillus, and not be able to convert to lactic acid. So if you see a red or pink mold or black scum, or the smell is really putrid. Um, definitely something went wrong. Um, it could just be that the chlor you have highly chlorinated water and it causes the carrots to spoil because you don't. Ha it's killing the good bacteria and essentially they're spoiling. So there are tons of recipes out there for lacto fermented foods. I love some spicy dilly beans. I also love 
kimchi, spicy kimchi. I mean, they're all spicy, but making it extra spicy is great. I love mixed pickled veggies. I can't process a lot of vegetables raw, so lacto-fermentation is easy on my gut. There are a host of recipes out there. So really, lacto-fermentation takes nothing more than salt, vegetables, or fruits, water, no canning, no fancy equipment. It's a really simple process, and it works because of the lucky fact that bacteria that could be harmful to us can't tolerate much salt, but there are healthy bacteria like lactobacillus that we talked about today. Think of them as the bad guys versus the good guys. Lacto-fermented process wipes out the bad guys in its first stage and lets the good guys get to working during stages too. So I hope that you've enjoyed this podcast today. Thanks for listening. I hope that I shared a little bit more knowledge about what lacto-fermentation is, and I hope that you get to try it out someday, and I'm curious to see how it goes. Good luck with it all. Have a great one.